0: Our second scripture reading in the New Testament is from Romans 13, verses 8 through 10. Listen for the word of God. Owe nothing to anyone except to love one another, for the one who loves another has fulfilled the law. The commandments, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not murder, you shall not steal, you shall not covet, and any other commandment are summed up in this word, love your neighbor as yourself. Love does no wrong to a neighbor, therefore, love is the fulfilling of the law. This is the word of God for the people of God. Let's pray. Holy God, help us to hear your word this morning, and because of it, to love you and love our neighbors more. We pray in Jesus' name, amen. My sermon this morning is titled, That Innate Corruption of Man. I gave it that title because I thought if I called it On Sin, like I was going to, people wouldn't come. Uh, but the, the sermon's on sin. Um, to be fair, unless I trusted the preacher, I don't know if I'd want to hear a sermon about sin either. Um, but I realized I'd never actually done a sermon on sin. Um, but I actually have a lot to say about it, more than one sermon's worth, and I don't, I don't know what that means for next week. We'll get there. Uh, but I was on the beach, oh, either sometime last week, or early this week, I was on the beach with my kids, and for some reason my brain went, you know, actually, uh, my understanding of sin is really rooted in Deuteronomy, which actually could be construed as bad news if you didn't trust the preacher. Y'all trust me, right? Um, but so first I want to give you my definition of sin, how, how I understand sin, and then I'll sort of explain how we got there or how I got there. Uh, sin would be the things that we do that cause harm to ourselves, to one another, to God's creation, and indirectly to God. And I'll, I'll get to the to God part um, in a bit. So how this all started was, oh, I guess 15 years ago, 14 years ago, I was in my first apartment, I had just moved out from living with my grandparents for a little while, and you know, it's that one, one bedroom apartment, didn't even have a couch, so just sitting on the floor, reading Deuteronomy like one does, not an inkling that I was going to be a pastor in 14 years. Uh, And I was reading Deuteronomy and I got to Deuteronomy 10.13 that I was reading from the New Living Translation. It says, you must always obey the Lord's commands and decrees that I'm giving you today for your own good. And I didn't realize that this became such a bedrock principle that that God's commands are for our own good. Uh, Whatever, if, if God gives us a law, it's for our own good. It's not arbitrary, which was, you know, it was great news because uh, in the house that I grew up in, it became frustrating because it seemed like a lot of the rules were, were really arbitrary, that it was just whatever my dad said was what God wanted me to do because children obey your parents and the Lord for this is right. And it was just frustrating, but it was like, no, these, this is for your own good And I worked at a camp after that. And what happened was, I was on the ropes course. And everything, all of the rules there, could be explained. It was amazing. And my boss, Ree, was like, look, if if there is a rule that we have that I can't explain, we shouldn't have that. And it was like, well, thank you. And since this was like the ropes course, including the high ropes course, uh, I found out that a lot of the rules had explanations that ended in, if we don't do this, this could happen, which could lead to this happening, which could lead to, and I'm quoting here, wham, splat, bad day. <laughs> uh, somebody will get hurt. So it was like, okay, God's laws are for our good, and, and they're not arbitrary. Uh but I had two things that had happened because, that, that really messed with this idea that God's rules are for our good, and, and the way that I identified this is God's law and this is what sin looks like. First, um, I started uh, questioning whether eternal damnation is actually a thing that God does, and second, um, I heard the stories of LGBTQ Christians who'd been trying to live according to God's law. Um, briefly, I read Love Wins by Rob Bell when it was really big and controversial, and I started going, okay, maybe this, this idea that God's torturing people for all eternity, maybe that's, not, maybe that's not compatible with this idea of the love and goodness of God, of, God, of Jesus dying on the cross for his enemies. Maybe that's not going to fit. And I started doing more research and got to reading about uh, Saint Augustine and one of his, I don't, one of the things he'd written. He said that many or most in the time that he was alive, which was around 400s, believed that God was eventually going to save everyone. Uh, and there's scripture passages that indicate that everyone will be saved. There's other ones that seem to indicate otherwise, and it depends which you read through the lens of which. Um, but it, it, it lines up in my understanding with the character of God, um, universal reconciliation, that God's going to, God in the end will convince everyone and nobody's going to be tortured because, like, if God's ways are higher than our ways and I can't imagine me torturing someone, how am I supposed to imagine God who's supposed to be better than me doing something that is worse than something I would do? doesn't make sense. Uh, briefly, hell. Um, uh, the second piece is the stories of LGBTQ Christians. I made a documentary when I was in college. I was a film major, and it was my senior, one of my senior year projects and interviewed some people who were LGBTQ Christians. Um, I read a book called Stranger at the Gate by Mel White, and he talked about his years and years and years of suffering and trying to trying to not be gay over all different kinds of ways and it was just making him miserable for his entire life like decades and we're talking about a guy who ghost wrote books for Jerry Falwell, Billy Graham and the like so it was like this isn't it wasn't doing him good it was actually it wasn't it wasn't didn't seem to be for his own good but maybe it was an eternity but it uh, didn't work out for hell there So it's like, what is is happening here? I made my documentary the same year that the founders of Exodus International, an ex-gay organization that helped people stop being gay, admitted that they actually couldn't do what they were doing, that it didn't work. It wasn't lining up with uh, Jesus. Talks in John 10.10, I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. These people weren't having abundant life. At least it didn't seem that way to me. And um, two of the folks I I interviewed in my documentary had this life and life abundantly that they weren't having when they were trying to not be gay. It was like, what is happening? Um... Because if we start with this basic principle that God's commands and decrees are for our own good, right? What do we do with this problem that people following some of those decrees are suffering, and when they stop following them, they had life abundantly? What do we do about that? This is a sort of three-pointed problem. We've got three things. One, God's law is for our good. Trying not to be gay is hurting gay people, and God's law says being gay is a sin. One of these has to not be true, because they are not working out together. Trying not to be gay is hurting gay people? Uh, I was convinced, like, you you may not have heard these stories, but I've heard these stories to the point where when somebody's like, I'm a Christian, and I have decided that God wants me to be celibate or married to um, opposite sex person. I just go, all right. I have I've watched this story enough time to see how it ends. Um, it ends with families falling apart, generally. It's like that. that I know that that's not. I knew from my own experience of watching, talking to people, that that's not, that's got to be true. Second, God's law is for our good. God's law is for our good. If God's law is not for our good, if God's law is going to cause us harm, pain, and suffering, why are we even doing this? If God's law is not for our good, why are we even doing this? We have to have it. Yeah. And also, I think we have to assume that our brains work and that God wants us to use them rather than, like, blindly trust in stuff because of whatever. I, I didn't have a lot of time to sit on that. You have no idea. I deleted like massive amounts of text for this sermon for it to be as short as it is. Um, so, so if we're going to keep God's laws for our good and we have to believe our eyes and ears, we've got to say, okay, um, sorry. Yeah, one of these things has to not be true. Anyway, possible ways God's law is for our good. And this is from the uh, the catechism, this phrase here, in this world and in the world to come. So if God's law is for our good in this world and gay people are miserable in this world when they're not, when they're living opposite their sexual orientation. And I didn't want to do this. I didn't want to talk about like LGBTQ people, sexual orientation. I didn't want to have a whole sermon about this, but I realized in the middle of writing it that Most of it was from this. Like, most of my understanding of sin came from this. So, (laughs) sorry to be going there. So, in this world, nope. Uh, What about in the world to come? Well, if nobody's getting tormented eternally for being gay, then it can't be that either. So, like, that's not working. One of these must not be true. Can't be that God's law is for our good. Nope, that's got to be true. Trying not to be gay is hurting gay people. Way too much evidence for that. So it must not be the case somehow that God's law says being gay is a sin. So it comes down to not, not, saying, that, not saying that there are not verses that indicate this, but saying that we've got to be misunderstanding it. If, we're, if, we come to the, if we come to the conclusion that God's law says being gay is a sin, we've got to be misunderstanding the verses that talk about that. And the thing is, we don't necessarily have to understand or be able to explain right away like what is the correct interpretation of those passages that are causing harm. All we have to do is in, we don't have to be able to explain how we interpret those passages through the lens of God's goodness to get that alternative interpretation. We can hold fast to that fundamental hermeneutic uh, interpretive principle that, that God's laws are good and that they're for our good without letting go of our belief that Scripture is inspired by God, profitable for reproof, correction, training, and righteousness. We have to, we, we can hold on to that at the same time while also going, okay, so all the verses that seem to indicate God doesn't like gay people, clearly the plain reading of that text does not work with the basic understanding that God's law is for our good. So we have to find another interpretation. We don't have to find it right now. We don't even have to find it in our lifetime, but we do, I believe, we are obligated, perhaps by at the least, uh, I can't find my where I had that, but I had a quote by St. Augustine that said, if You're reading a scripture passage, and it doesn't build you up to greater love of God and your neighbor. You're doing it wrong. Now, someone might ask, well, what do you do with this passage? And, well, I don't I don't receive the obvious or what some call the the plain reading of the text. I don't receive that as authoritative because it doesn't work any more than accepting as authoritative the plain reading of, like, psalms that talk about the four corners of the earth. You look at that and you go, well, either we have to say that the earth has four corners or we have to say there must be another way of understanding this that allows us to accept it as inspired by God, profitable for reproof, correction, training, and righteousness, without saying that the earth has four corners. Um, Or or there's verses that talk about uh, whoever kills the babies of Babylonians, that's in Psalm 137, will be blessed by God. Well, we know that's not right. We know that we can still say this is inspired by God, profitable for reproof, correction, training, and righteousness without saying this is what God wants us to do because that's clearly opposing to this idea that God's commands and decrees are for our own good. We don't have to know how to interpret it. We don't need to know the right interpretation to know that that's the wrong interpretation. Once again, as I've defined sin, it's the things that we do that cause harm to ourselves, to one another, to God's creation, indirectly to God, because God's commands and decrees are for our own good and for the good of one another, for the good of our community. There it is. There's Romans 13. That's not Romans 13. Owe nothing to one another. Owe nothing. Blah, blah, blah. I have other translations in my head of how this verse is supposed to go. Oh, nothing to no one except to love one another. Uh, for the one who loves another has fulfilled the law. The commandments, they're all summed up in love your neighbor as yourself. Love does no wrong to a neighbor. Therefore, love is the fulfilling of the law. Love's the fulfillment of the law. And if I'm telling my LGBTQ friends that they have to stop being who they are, when fighting it caused them so much pain and suffering and accepting caused them so much goodness. It doesn't seem right to me. It doesn't seem loving. Now somebody might say, well, what about other sins? What about other sins? We'll come back to that. Uh, people say mainline churches like the Presbyterian Church don't believe in sin, don't take sin seriously, or soft on sin. Uh, I don't think that's true. I take sin seriously, especially by that definition. Um, I just don't define sin the same way the fundamentalists do. Uh, the way fundamentalists define sin is they'll say the, the and they won't actually say this, but uh, the things that I've found in the Bible that I've decided are bad or my pastor told me are bad, those are bad. Uh, the things that I haven't decided are bad, that's what I'm going to do. That's a little bit of a straw man. I grew up fundamentalist. It's a little bit of a straw man, to put it that way, because they wouldn't phrase it that way. There's actually lots of fancy hermeneutics and explanations of uh, how we get there, but ultimately that's what I think it ends up as. So what about other sin? Name a sin. I can tell you how it's going to harm somebody. And if I can't, I don't know if I should be comfortably standing up here with a megaphone and going, this is a sin, and it's bad, and you should stop doing it. In Tuesday Bible study, Leslie observed that a lot of the Old Testament food laws pertained more to health than anything else. It was like, oh, you will get sick if you don't do this. Really boils down to love God and love your neighbor. Loves the fulfilling of the law. Now, some people might say, well, you're redefining sin. Sin is just breaking God's law. And I I kind of am. I'm redefining it in the way that Jesus and Paul defined it. I'm redefining it in a Christian way. I'm redefining it because the alternative is to redefine goodness or redefine love in ways that don't make any sense. There's been a temptation recently to try to say, well, it's loving to tell someone that, that they're sinning when the sin that they're doing is not doing wrong to a neighbor. Sorry, I'm wagging my finger at the screen in the back, but I really should be (laughs) wagging it up there. Some people might say it's loving to make it illegal for someone to break God's laws, and specifically the, the very narrow subset of laws that I think should be illegal. Uh, the very narrow subset of things in the Bible that I think should be illegal. Redefining love. There's actually a popular meme on the internet says, there is no hatred like Christian love. And not, not referring to like actual love, but like, uh, quote, Christian love. Not actually Christian love. Christian love should be identified as, like, if someone loves you, you should be able to tell that they actually love you, and it should look like love to the other person. That's all I'm saying. And if it's causing harm, I don't think it can be God's law. And also, like, into that, look at Deuteronomy again. And I moved it back. You must observe these laws diligently. This will show your wisdom and discernment to the people, for when they hear these statutes, they'll say, surely this great nation is a wise and discerning people. It says the neighboring nations will look at the people of God and say, what other nation has such good laws as these? Challenge for you. Find somebody on the street who's not a Christian. Ask them if they think God's law as in Christians that they see on TV. Ask them if they think that version of God's law is good and just. Ask them. See how it goes. Actually, st- come to Sunday school at 11? Ask my friend Jordan. He's, uh, he's an atheist. Uh, if everybody around us who's not a Christian is saying, yeah, Christians don't love people, they just say they do, that might be something to pay attention to. I'm not talking generally in terms of people in this room, I think, and, and people in the Zoom call, or the, the video, the, the live stream. My goodness. <laughs> Not talking in terms of the of the of the, of the of the folks here. I'm talking in terms of like, if you see a news article about Christian says blah blah blah, you just go, "Is that right?" The other thing about this understanding of sin as things we do that cause harm to ourselves, one another, God's creation, and to God. This enables us to look around and see sins, based on that and based on. The Romans passage, that love is the fulfilling of the law. So, not love would be the opposite of fulfilling of the law. That would be sin. Like, we can, we can look around and see sins that are not listed in the Bible based on the principle that they are causing harm to, uh, that they're causing harm and love does no wrong to a neighbor, right? We, we can look at that and go, oh, okay, Well, that's doing harm to our neighbors. That's doing harm to our neighbors. That's doing harm to our neighbors. All those things are sin. Wait, that's not in the Bible. Yes, it is. Love does no wrong to a neighbor. I'm really close to being done here. Uh, This is why in the Presbyterian church we've talked about the sin of racism. Racism isn't in the Bible as a sin. Sure it is. Racism does wrong to a neighbor. Therefore, it's a sin. Sin's bad. Because it hurts our neighbors. It's bad because it hurts us. It's bad because it hurts our world. It's bad because according to Matthew 25, where Jesus says, um, Whatsoever you did to the least of these, my brothers and sisters, you did to me, it hurts God. That's where that was going. We take sin seriously. Maybe We don't take sin seriously enough. Um, that's why in the Presbyterian tradition, part of our order of worship is the confession of sin because unlike some traditions, we don't believe that we humans are going to achieve total freedom from sin in this life. We have a thing called total depravity, which was another thing that didn't make it into my sermon, because <laughs> it would be so much longer. It really real it really, really boils down to love God, love your neighbor. When we sin, God forgives us and helps us to live in a new way. But I think if if our, if our understanding of sin is not based on the goodness of God, what's even the point? Love God, love your neighbor. It's not complicated, but man, is it hard to do in this world, especially with the neighbors that we have. <laughs> Let's pray. Gracious God, Help us to love you and to love our neighbors. Keep us from falling into sin of harming them or wishing them harm. and Help us to do what we can to change our culture so that our culture doesn't cause harm. Help us to follow Jesus. We pray in his name. Amen.